0: Swivel From Swivel Media and the product bus, this is the bootstrap. I'm Scotty Ellen. When is the right time for startups to look at their competitors? Focus on this too early and you risk falling down rabbit holes, but leaving it too late usually ends badly. This week, I'm joined by transformation consultant and coach Jason Jeston to discuss navigating the competition. But first let's take a look at some things you should know. Here's the startup rundown for Thursday, the 26th of October. Microsoft has announced a two-year partnership with the Australian government with an investment of $5 billion in Australian cybersecurity, cloud computing, and AI infrastructure. As part of this program, a new Microsoft Data Centre Academy will open next year in partnership with TAFE New South Wales, focusing on helping underrepresented groups, including women and Indigenous people, to get jobs in tech. Microsoft will also collaborate with the Australian Signals Directorate on the Microsoft ASD Cyber Shield to improve the nation's cybersecurity response and plans to add another nine local data centers to the existing centers in Sydney, Canberra, and Melbourne in a bid to fight AWS for a stake of the Australian cloud computing services market, which is expected to reach a value of $22.3 billion by 2026. Some hard news for the Australian game development scene, as the country's biggest prospect, Adelaide-based company Mighty Kingdom, has found itself in a last-ditch effort to raise necessary capital. According to a report in the Australian Financial Review, the company, which was once Australia's most promising game developer when it was listed on the ASX in 2021, is now asking investors for more cash flow following losses of over $10 million. This reflects an overall downturn in gaming investment over the last year, affecting everyone from AAA developers to the indie scene. In climate tech news, two Australian climate tech startups are among seven ideas selected for the third cohort of US-based Studio X's Global Energy and Climate Tech Innovation Accelerator. Economical Energy, a long-duration energy storage solution startup with a very self-explanatory name, and Onviol, which is pioneering industrial IoT power solutions for applications in wind energy, transport, and mining, will be part of the 16-week program which is backed by Shell, those well-known climate champions. The Studio X Accelerator was launched in 2020 to help accelerate the pace of innovation in climate tech for the energy industry. And finally, have you ever been scammed by a robot? According to TechCrunch, a notice of inquiry has been handed to the FCC chairwoman Jessica Rosenworcel regarding the potential for emerging AI technology to supercharge the practice of robocalling. AI-driven writing and voice synthesizing are among the concerns However, these new technologies also carry opportunities to improve operations on the productivity and accessibility fronts, just don't tell SAG-EFTRA. The FFC will vote on the notice at their next meeting, and I now have yet another reason to never answer the phone. As a startup coach and product manager, I've seen both extremes of competitor analysis. There's the version where founders focus on it too early, and it becomes analysis paralysis. And then there's the other end where startups enter the market without an understanding of who they're up against at all. How do you land in the middle to get it right? To help me answer this question, I'm joined by Jason Jeston. Jason is the founder of Career Clarity Coaching and a transformation and business coach with Modern People Global. Jason, welcome to The Bootstrap. Hi, great to be here. Great to have you. Let's get stuck into it. So, How early in the startup process should founders start thinking about competitors?
1: Great question. Well, I think the thing to consider is that if you think about competitors too early, you can start to create a bit more of a filtered version of the business. So you don't want to do it too early, but of course it's, it's very important. So I would say, when you're developing your business, it can be a little bit inauthentic or it can confuse you to to consider the customers, the competitor analysis from the first point of view. Yeah, so I think at the stage where you're getting around the unique value proposition is really the point. After you've done your ideal avatar, the problem, and you've done all the verification, that sort of stuff, then at the UVP stage, that's when... You need to understand what else is happening out there to solve the problem mm. to understand how you're differentiating when we
0: think about competitors, one thing that I do, and we've just worked on this in a cohort that that I've run, which is like early stage idea validation, is yeah. that at at the beginning it's not so much specific competitors but more like competitive ideas or who how else are people solving this problem and i think it's something that you can do in a couple of different layers without getting laser focused in on a specific competitor right away what are the key elements that people should focus on when they are doing that competitor analysis
1: yeah i think i would say it's understanding what doing a SWOT analysis basically would be would be one tool I would suggest to use you know and really understanding what is the positioning that these competitors are taking uh, in and what are their strengths what are the what are the weaknesses what are the gaps and overall thinking about from uh, a macro point of view the the industry itself what are the, what are the opportunities within the industries that are not being served and, and what are the, what are the threats from within the industry from outside of the industry? Yeah. I think, I think one of the, the, the key elements to think about as well is when I think about from a frame of reference, hmm. it's not just who we think is the direct competitor as a competitor that's providing a similar service. But rather, what are the alternatives from the point of view of the ideal customer that they are availing themselves of in trying to solve their problem? Some of which may be completely different solutions. That's right. Yeah, And
0: sometimes there are perhaps more manual ways that people are solving the problem at the moment, particularly if we start thinking about like B2B SaaS where it's often systems and processes, it might be that they have a, a solution, quote unquote, but it's painful. But just because they have a manual solution doesn't mean they're necessarily motivated enough to actually go through the pain of implementing a a, a tech system to solve that if that makes sense so it's also then their appetite for change because sometimes they're like yeah we you know we 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 do that a bit manually but it wouldn't be worth us to do it in a more i love that efficient efficient way and, and and even i think with b2b SaaS, one thing that i'm often working on with clients is that when they say oh yeah at the moment we do this is a bit manual we made our own system the person that you're talking to might be motivated to change but there's an owner or even creator of that system somewhere in the organization that could be a potential blocker to either the sale or the actual successful implementation and so it's kind of really great to understand that Sometimes I hear people say, no one else is doing this in in a pitch. Is that always a good thing?
1: Good question. Good question. Not necessarily, because yeah. there might be a reason why people are not doing certain things, you know? Yeah. And uh, yeah, that could be an indication that we're, yeah, trying to uh, sell a solution to which there may not even be a problem. Yes.
0: It's one of my um, red flags when I hear that. Yeah. that it's like, oh, well, because either it means you have not done your research and you don't know that there are actually people already solving what you think you're solving for the first time, or people have tried it and it doesn't work or it's not actually a problem. (laughs)
1: Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. You want to get that right before continuing further. Yeah.
0: So we're talking to bootstrapped founders here. We are talking about doing things in a cost-effective way, What are some budget conscious methods that people can use to do that competitive analysis?
1: I think the, the the more cost effective ways can be the better ways in fact, because you can, when you look at sources of information, you can pay a lot of money to get research and that might give you high level, high level information, but it doesn't get into the nitty gritty. And what's the most important, I think with, as with the problem validation is really understanding from the the words that are coming out of the mouths of your ideal customer about what it is that that that, that is solving their problem and what what it is that they perceive as you know what the competition is doing what they like about it
0: mm. Mm.
1: And what the, yeah. where the gaps are. And so talking, trying to find these ideal customers is one way, but it may be also, there's a lot of information online, right? So uh, there may be uh, sources uh, where there's reviews, for example, uh, about services, about products or discussion forums, that sort of stuff. Mm. That's gold.
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, cause I think, when we talk about market research, there are times where that those are rabbit holes that can provide a lot of data that isn't necessarily useful. And working out, I guess, at a high level, like what is it that we want to know? I'm working through this with a client at the moment where we're, we're going to do a competitive analysis, but we're really – looking carefully at like, what do we actually need to know? What do we need to understand about what other people are doing in this space to find where our unique value proposition is? And in this case, we don't need mountains of numbers and spreadsheets. We need some more kind of qualitative information about the sentiment of people that are using the product and the things that are missing from it. And you're not going to find that in data, obviously it's different when you're doing like total adjustable market, but competitors is hard. What are the risks with not having a clear enough understanding of competition as a, a bootstrapping founder?
1: Yeah. Two words come to mind when I, when I think about that question. Great question. I would think ineffective and inefficient. And when I say ineffective, I mean, if you don't understand understanding your competition the purpose of that is to understand why you're different and and to be able to communicate that and really drive home that for your ideal client that's the whole differentiation point Mm. that's what creates that that perception that connects you to your ideal client so yeah if you don't if you're messaging then about it's really, I, th- I feel that UVP like is the, is the one of the strongest point here that you get from that competitor analysis. If it's not strong enough, then it's just going to flop or it's just not going to land the way it's supposed to. And you could have an amazing product or service, but it's just in how you're kind of pitching it in a sense or communicating it doesn't land for people. And inefficient would be where if you're not... Able to really understand what it is that people see, how you're unique, how you're standing out from the competition, then um, there's a lot of heavy lifting that needs to go into communicating um, Mm. your product. Mm. The the other
0: uh, common pitfall or mistake that I see that people make is waiting until they've started building something uh, to then try and understand that and i think that can happen you know, not necessarily when people are just kind of building on on spec but where maybe you've built something for a particular purpose or a developer works with someone and builds a solution that they really need making an assumption that it's going to be easy then to commercialize or scale that to other areas and then discovering that there's a lot of competition in that space it's always it, in bigger implementations or, or bigger like SaaS solutions, sometimes you really do have to start with a particular customer and work through their requirements and how you're going to meet them. But I always try and encourage people to, even if you are building for that customer, if you want to scale it, you need to validate their requirements with someone else in that space because otherwise you could, you could just be building custom workflow for them because they might just be an outlier. Not everyone, no one in an industry does everything exactly the same. And that's, I think, often the mistake that can get made there. But it always makes me a little bit sick on the tummy when people come and they've actually built a MVP and then they say that they can't answer the competitor question. Like, oh, this is a long way to go without trying to work that out. Right. <laughs> So have, can you think of an experience or a time where either in your own work or working with, with an, another company or product where you've seen competitor analysis or a good understanding of competitors lead to a, a pivot that has worked out?
1: Yeah. some One comes to mind, yeah, obviously can't provide exact details due to confidentiality, but there was one particular strategy session uh, we were going through and the, the focus up until that point around the competitor analysis had been with those direct competitors. Mm. But when we were able to shift as we always should, I always recommended every stage back to the ideal avatar and what they're experiencing, what they're going through, their lived experience, we were able to sort of actually realize that apathy (laughs) was one of the competitors, the real competitors that they were, you know, in the, in the, in the, in the space of this particular service. So rather than actually trying to find a ways that they could differentiate themselves from a direct competitor, understanding that what the customer was actually doing to try and solve or in this case not even solve because they just like kind of given up was the, the the breakthrough that they needed to realize aha that's what we need to bring in that's the problem that we're solving mm. yeah so that was but a massive shift
0: sometimes we call them indirect competitors where it is a lack like of apathy i think in the netflix model one of the it was partly how do we get people to sit up and press play on the next thing when they might either get distracted or switch you know channels or fall asleep. And uh, solution to that, just keep playing. <laughs> yeah. just, you know, let's make the next thing start right away so they don't have to do anything. <laughs> and, yeah. yeah. And it's actually harder if they are gonna take action it's going to be to stop it from happening, as opposed to be like, oh, one more. We'll just watch one more. Yeah, <laughs> so, and that, and, and I think another piece in there is perceived competitors. So it's that thing mm. of which we've kind of talked about in terms of it's not a product, or it mightn't be, a, or, or people are using something that isn't fit for a purpose to solve that problem. So often, when you look at systems, if people have got a you know a bigger system and everyone's looking <laughs> for the one stop shop, they might yeah. say, oh, we do that in hubspot or we do that in synergetic or whatever our oracle or something horrible and you know to then work out can we actually show you that we can do that better so how do early stage startups find ways to differentiate your competitors often have more resources to both market and educate people what are some ways that you can find that kind of point of differentiation as a bootstrap startup
1: Yeah, well, you know, look, something comes to mind and I I realize myself as a coach as well, I'm always coming from that human behavior aspect, but I believe it's very relevant because I believe that everything in business as in life, it comes down to a relationship between things, between people, you know, Mm. you cannot separate businesses from the people, the people are at the core of it. And really it's this human connection and the quality of that human connection which is what you know allows businesses to thrive by connecting with the right customers by connecting with the right other stakeholders like bringing in uh, the right team players for example and so you know it's it's being able to communicate clearly concisely and persuasively to other humans, you know, so there's, you know, you, some people might say that that's marketing, but it's wider than that. It's, it's basically how you demonstrate in every facet of your business, what you really stand for and how you really stand out,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, and, and the other, the other thing I would mention about this is that, you know, we talk about value, um, but really it's perceived value. It really is, you know, like value is what the customer perceives. Again, going back to people, going back to real lived, real life ideal avatar people and what their problems are and how are they perceiving um, the, the product or the service.
0: It's, I really love what you just said because often I think it's easier to, focus on oh we need we need to develop this feature we need to do x y and z when actually the adjustment that you need to make could just be messaging it could be what what are the pieces of what we're saying about what we do or explaining about what we're doing that aren't landing for people that they're not seeing that it's solving that problem or doing it in a different way and particularly on the tech side if you're building a product it's I think it feels like you're more in control, but like when you really need to develop that feature. Uh, I was working with a client recently where they have done a lot of work. They've actually got a great product. They're pivoting it, but then their list of things that had to be done before they could launch that pivot was so long and I was like, guys, you're underselling here. And also you don't know if this pivot is gonna work. It's a hypothesis. So we've got to go back to minimum, minimum viable of what we need to do to actually start the messaging around the pivot and see if people uh resonate with it rather than going away for six months and doing all this development and then finding, oh, you don't like this either. And I think that people, (laughs) you know, sometimes fall into that trap, particularly if you're technical or you're you know you're just not having enough conversations with people and taking the risk of hearing that, no, they don't want that. Or no, it's not like that. It's very challenging.
1: Yeah. I I I love what you said there as well. And, you know, one point I'll I'll make, and I think you're driving this as well. You're driving this message is communication is so important, but it's not just about saying, it's about listening. It's about really, yeah, listening.
0: Well, I hear sometimes we just got to educate them on the problem more and it's really trying to find that like if you it, if you have to educate them on the problem it isn't really a problem or you're not it is a sometimes people come up with solutions to real problems that people don't realize they have and that isn't impossible but it is it's harder but after a certain period of time if you're still thinking we just haven't found the right people that understand the problem that's that piece and i love what you said about listening because I meet people where they've dug in so deep that they actually can't hear or bear to hear like criticism or alternate ideas because it's really what they're like no no I just really believe in this but what what it ends up sounding and looking like is that they're just back into a corner yeah. with no nowhere to go but to fight for the same thing and it's a it's a sad place to see people get to but I don't think that we spend enough time educating and and really holding founders to account for some of this stuff because a lot of the networking and the things that we do where it's very service level and it's very positive and we're like oh that's amazing can't wait to see you get some traction (laughs) etc and so if you don't actually put yourself in positions I mentioned this validation cohort that we've just we just finished the first group today and I really took Take my hat off to those people that are prepared to sit, do this work, and then sit with mentors and their fellow founders, and in the nicest possible way have people pick it apart. Mm -hmm. Because if you're if you can't do that now, you're not going to be able to do that in two years' time when you suddenly realize, oh no, we're totally on the wrong track.
1: Yeah, yeah, hundred percent, (laughs) hundred percent. Tunnel vision is is dangerous. Yeah. Yeah, And it's, I think it's too,
0: like just being prepared to have conversations because there are times where there's nothing beats actually picking up the phone or getting pounding the pavement and going to talk to some people and the results that you get from that, because you just get out of your own mindset when you've got someone face to face or on the phone that you can't just, well, I mean, you can ask just questions that you know you're going to get a good answer to, but if you really are seeking that, that feedback, but it's a, it's a risk, isn't it? You've got to put yourself in a position for someone to go, Yeah, no, we don't really need that.
1: <laughs> yeah, 100%. You know, I think, you know, on reflection, I think, and a lot of people might relate, there are some days where you can get stuck in brainstorming, execution, or trying to do something, and, you know, the day just flies away. Whereas some days, something happens. You get an, an insight from a Connection with somebody from a con- from a communication, which completely changes the trajectory, and it's like a massive breakthrough. And I I love that. Sometimes I just allow myself to, to 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 position myself, even though it might feel a little bit uncomfortable sometimes, in that those spaces and with those connections, which have an opportunity to boom emerge yeah. a breakthrough idea. Yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, we touched a bit on this already, but what is your advice on how to balance monitoring competitors with falling down a rabbit hole of getting too obsessed with them?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a really good question. It's avoiding that tunnel vision that we spoke about as well. You know, it's not being attached to, so there's, there's two aspects of it. I think it's, it's, it's our, being attached to our own perception about what and who we are and what's good about us and what the competition is, but coming back and realizing, Oh yeah, it's not about me. It's about the ideal customer. So let me go and try and find those ideal customers and understand what they're thinking or perceiving about the competition about me. Yeah. Yeah. And again, it's, it's that, it's that tunnel vision about like features and benefits as well. It's like, you know, like, Oh, the, cust- the the one of my competitors is doing this or doing that and it's like a feature or a benefit in itself is not necessarily great it's it's how it's being it's how it's being perceived it's how it's being how are they communicating it how are they positioning it hmm. in terms of what is again it always comes back like you know what exact problem what exact avatar are they solving this for and how are they solving it in such a unique way even outside of just a clever feature or benefit but how are they actually communicating it in a way that it really lands for for their customers or not
0: yeah i've seen and experienced both sides of this as a product manager like in a business where on one side is complete dismissal of competitors because you've just decided that theirs is crap and yours is better yeah. and so that can make it hard to get discussions happening about okay we don't want to be obsessed with the competitor but let's have a look at this or these people are working on this if you have someone who's just like oh well ours is better and it's that thing of well it mightn't be like it doesn't mean that we can't message around this but we can't yeah. just dismiss that out of hand so blind blindly ignoring them is unhealthy but then i've also been on the flip side where every time a competitor releases something new it's panic stations and you know people are very unlikely to get rid of a system or a product for a feature or at least not not right away so you've got time to work out well is that really going to land and if you have a plan if you have trajectory you've got to really consider carefully when do you actually turn around and do a 180 and focus on something completely different because your competitor is doing it so it, yeah. it's finding that balance isn't it Of yeah. and as you said at the end of the day a lot of it comes down to the quality of relationship that you have with your existing base and that the trust that they have in you so you know that people tire kick they might look at other things but if you can respond in a in a way where well i guess it's two things isn't it and i guess i'm getting a bit ahead of myself in terms of the stage of business that probably our listeners are at but when you become more established you can the flip side could happen where people users feel like they can't have any impact on the roadmap and they just go, oh thanks we'll add that to our backlog or etc and you never hear about it again and that can be very disempowering but in the same sense if you're every time a user says it'd be really good if this did my laundry as well, if you're like, Oh, <gasps> we've got to get, we have to do laundry. Your, your yeah. developers and product people will just end up, you know, either running around like crazy or just running out of the room.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You can go broke that way, actually trying oh. to please everybody. I think if you stick to what you're good at and what people know you to be good at, what, what connects them to you, stick with that and keep your keep your keep your ideal avatar and a whole bunch of people like that close at hand and keep having conversations with them continuously.
0: Mm-hmm. So last question I'd try yeah. and ask everybody a version of this if you were starting a brand new business right now how would you approach competitor analysis?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So again coming from my perspective as a coach I would say you know it's it's understanding that humans are feeling creatures who think that way around. Like humans make decisions based feel on like emotions. I that's
0: generous to some humans, but I think it's for <laughs> <but> yeah, yeah, <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, like
1: humans, humans make decisions based on, on, on emotions, even though it might seem that we, we, we rationalize think and that we, we use our intellect. There's a whole other system at play really in the background there. And, you know, I think intuitively we, if we, if we really think about it, we might, we might realize that that is the case in a lot of businesses and in the decision-making processes that we as humans make. So I do think it's having that understanding about, um, firstly, I would definitely approach competitor analysis at, as you mentioned before, like at that stage, not at the beginning stage, you know, you can understand why you're in business yourself so you understand yourself and what connects you to what's driving you to create this business, then what is your connection to this ideal avatar and what their problem is and their solution and so on and so forth. And then when you get to the UVP stage, it's like, okay, well, what, what, what are other people doing? Or rather I probably should have said it this way. What is my ideal avatar looking for and what are they doing um, to solve that problem? And understanding that humans are actually making decisions based on their emotions and they're looking for relational, um, connections in the world. They're looking for relational connections rather than transactional connections. I know if we go down to Bunnings, uh, we just need to fix the problem and get the nail and get the hammer. That's true, but, but actually. If we reflect on it, there's a lot more at play there, and there's a lot mm. more emotion that goes into it. Even for the fact of Bunning say that you might want to know that you're going to get there and be able to discuss the problem with somebody that actually cares about your problem and is actually going to have the insight. See, to... I would
0: rather walk around the aisle for like three hours and ask a oh. question. Oh, I'm, I'm like it's it's so bad, isn't it? And I, I, I traveled with my sister recently for a family reason, and we had a lot to get done. And we got it done really fast simply because she was prepared to walk into places and approach someone and ask a question. Yeah. And I was like, this, I, if I could do this, I would save so much time, but, oh. but no, I a hundred percent understand what you're saying. Sorry. I'm just being goofy. No, that's
1: okay. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I am. I am the opposite there. I, I definitely think that connecting by a conversation with, 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 with people is, is, is like the, best and the biggest and the fastest 100%. and the most efficient and effective thing. And I, and I actually, I, I didn't have that attitude until like about a year ago when I just put myself out there and started meeting these people. And I was just like, wow, amazed. Um, yeah.
0: Oh, look, from a professional standpoint doing this hundred percent, I'm absolutely with you. It's I just, I find it ironic that I really struggle to apply that in my kind of personal You know, when I'm trying to get stuff done, walking into Bunnings, I think it's partly a social anxiety thing of like, oh, you're going to think I'm stupid, right? But, you know, incredibly important. I I, I think, too, just building on something that you said a moment ago, I I think that this can also, competitor analysis, like once you've got your, what are we solving? What's our vision for how we're going to solve it? Who do we think it's for? Looking at competitors can be a way to help in that niching process to really, find that fit because it may be someone else is solving this but they're doing it for a broader audience or for a specific audience and you can do it in a different way for someone else and often we struggle with that we want to be everything to everyone so it's why it takes a really long time to explain the idea because you're like, it could be this, it could be that. You could use it for business, you could use it for personal. It might be for cats. It's a lot of like you know, <laughs> no, and where, and then people can't find themselves in that. They don't really yeah. get it. So you're not getting that stickiness. Whereas at, at the start, it doesn't mean that you're stuck there forever. But if you can hone in and say, this is for nurses, you know, this yeah. is for like whatever. Because if you if you find a market and you can Get a bit of virality in that market you can then work out who else it is and if you find people that aren't being catered for in that particular area of solving that's a hell of a lot better than desperately ultimately otherwise it's like you're standing on the highway with a sign right? <laughs> yeah <laughs> right I, I, you know i think
1: but... <laughs> it's so true i love what you said the stickiness you know like yeah. the connection to the point of stickiness and yeah. you know i would say you know like they say if you market to everybody you market to nobody because, you know, you need to connect, boom, with somebody. And so if you say, hey, this is for, you know, like like somebody like me, you know, like fathers that are in Australia that are in their, you know, late 40s or whatever, suddenly if I hear at least three things that are like, hang on, that's me, that's me, that's me, boom, yes. you get it. Yeah. You've yeah. got to – people
0: have to see themselves in it. and And so yeah. part of what we then don't need to be afraid to – do is also have people hear that and go oh not for me yeah. because we only need that as if 100 percent of people do that we have a problem but is, as long as we're hitting that niche then a we're personalizing that but also we're reducing the amount of tire kickers that we have to yeah. work with or people where they might be interested but in order to get their business you're going to take this in a completely different direction and so having that that real clarity i think is where you know, still in, to me, definitely that that competitor analysis is part of the validation process. If Mm. you get to, if you start a build or that sort of thing without doing it, you've skipped a step. But I I also agree that you, where you put that is important because you've got to have some passion and an idea
1: first. It's interesting what you say, because I think, you know, I do think there is merit in the fact that people don't buy things, they buy ideas. And how we communicate ideas as humans, um, best way to communicate ideas is through stories because we're constantly telling ourselves stories anyway. Hundred So telling those stories in a powerful way is how we can, we can really connect, I, th- I feel. And that's where the authenticity about really understanding the ideal avatar and why we're doing the business we're doing in the first place. And when that comes out in your networking and your pitching, that's where people go, yeah, there's heart in this, you know, I'm feeling it. I'm not thinking it anymore. I'm feeling it. And once you've got them in the feeling space, that's when people make decisions. 100%. Yes, yeah. so if
0: it gets them to that point where they're in and they haven't asked how much, you've got that kind of real, that, that fit that you're talking about. Jason, thank you so much for lending yeah. your expertise to this topic. It's been great talking to you.
1: Oh, you're welcome, Scotty. Yeah, no, I loved it. Brilliant. Yeah, have a great okay. day.
0: You can find out more about Jason Justin by following him on LinkedIn or visiting career-clarity-coaching.com. That's it for the bootstrap this week. New episodes are coming every Thursday, so don't forget to subscribe or follow the show wherever you listen. And of course, we would love a positive rating and review to help others find the show. We're working on our social media presence, but for now, you can find The Product Bus on most platforms and interact with The Bootstrap posts there. We'd love to hear from you. The Bootstrap is a production of Swivel Media and The Product Bus. It was developed by me, Scotty Allen, and Declan McGee. This episode was produced and written by Declan McGee. We were edited by Sammy Perryman, sound design and mixed by Rob Clark. If you're an early stage founder looking for resources and practical help, check out theproductbus.com and get in touch.